There we go. Hi, Misaki. Hey, we'll see you again, sir. Work in progress, alumtuzumab in CMV mismatch kidney transplantation. Masaki? Yes. Mata, MD, 810-220. So I'm, I'm signed in properly. And I can see <laughs> Lewis Mann. I don't know who you are, Lewis, but greetings. And I thought I saw down in the bottom, I thought I saw Kupachi. Yeah, here's Sarat. Okay. Yes. Yeah, he's here. Dr. Kupachi is here too. Hi, Larry. How are you? I'm well. Are you in Iowa City or f far away? Well, it depends upon what you mean by far away. I'm up in Minneapolis. So, well, we'll <laughs> consider that far away. <laughs> but well, it's not as far away as Inglewood, for instance. That's true. <laughs> Great to hear from you. Good to see you. Well, good to hear. And Melissa Swee, I see. Hello, Melissa Swee, who is not yet. Yes, now you talk. Yes, hello. It's been a while. It has been a while. I, uh, and Dr. Uh, Huang is, is on the yeah, line. Good to see you. Are you in town or are you just by... Uh, I'm uh, up in Minneapolis. Oh, that's good. So, with my uh, son and his family. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, so you so it's 12.01 uh, uh, and Becky. Uh, it's 12.01, so I suppose we ought to let... Um, Whoever is chairing the session, introduce Masaki. Well, uh, Masaki's been here for since September, so uh, almost a year. A year? My gosh, yeah. I didn't know. No, he doesn't need introduction. <laughs> well, okay, then you can tell him to, I don't know whether you want to wait until 12.05 for everybody else to get on, but I'm ready to go. I think we, uh, we typically, uh, uh, times 10 past hour, so uh, so uh, people probably still going to uh, sign in on, you know, in the next couple of minutes, you know. Yeah, we have 11 people now. What time is it? Uh, well, Masa Masaki, you decide whenever you, you want to go ahead, go ahead. Yes, yeah, the first part is uh, introductory, so I will start. So the thank you for your time. Just, and to let everyone know uh, the staff meeting, which is like in the past day on the same link, and uh, have referral to sign off, and we'll you know, just go on. All right, go ahead, yeah. Yes, so the... Title is uh, Alemutsuzumab using the CMB mismatch kidney transplantation. And then I'd like to share some of my research project. It's really like a preliminary, but I'd like to have uh, some feedbacks from the audience. So no disclosure. And then I'm gonna talk about the offer label, which is uh, Alemutsuzumab campus in the kidney transplantation. But I'm not, uh, intend to like, uh, encourage to use RMSMAP yeah, in this situation. So first of all, post-transplant leukopenia, and I'd like to go over, and then I'd like to introduce the medication called uh, RMSMAP for the general nephrology uh, folks. 
And then a little bit like, you know, uh, teaching about the uh, directed acyclic graph in the retrospective clinical like research, which I learned during my training. And I'd like to share my preliminary work about the uh, impact of alemizumab use in the uh, kidney transplantation and then kidney transplant outcomes in the CMB mismatch. So this is a case I experienced after I moved to Iowa City from uh, my former training where we do not use alemuzumab at all. So mainly I was using cymoglobulin uh, uh, and basiliximab. 43-year-old white male preemptive kidney transplant, IgA, original disease, and kidney transplant was recently done just two months ago from a friend. So six antigen mismatch induction agent, we used alemuzumab on this patient. So he got the just single dose of alemuzumab in the operation room. In maintenance therapy, we do tack mycophenolate. The mycophenolate is standard dose, 1,000 milligram, but here we use uh, 500 uh, milligram twice a day. So just like a you know, gram per day. Then he was a uh, steroid sparing by transplant surgeon's uh, preference. And his CMB steroid status was uh, donor positive and recipient negative. So recipient was naive. And then we saw the high risk patient for the CMB infection. So a patient was placed on the Barugan cyclovir through therapeutic dose 900 once a day. And I got the like information about this white blood cell count is down to 1,670. And ANC is only like you know, 940. And CD4 count here, actually you know, 25. And normal range usually greater than 500, but uh, uh, below 200, that's almost like you know, HIV induced uh, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. So AIDS equivalent. So his lymphopenia is very severe after the alemuzumab use. So I'm biased because uh, this is my new experience here at the Iowa City and I learned and I heard during my training, alemuzumab is causing a severe prolonged neutropenia. So this is not the transplant patient population, but uh, I'd like to show, uh, I'd like to draw your attention. So alemuzumab, brown name campus, and if you are giving uh, those medication, even like a couple doses, and then this case, uh, in this study, so patient received five total uh, consecutive dose for the uh, rheumatoid arthritis control, and patient developed severe, severe lymphopenia, which almost like, you know, above one year or so. And then the medication dose is very high, compared to our case, but uh, I'd like to uh, draw your attention. So this medication can cause very severe prolonged lymphopenia. And on top of that, uh, post-transplant leukopenia, drug-induced, very common because of anti-metabolite we will use to prevent patient from having a rejection or developing rejection. So mycophenolate, which is MMF-induced leukopenia, Randomized control trial of 500 or so cyclosporine-based prednisone treatment, and they randomized to the ARM1 mycophenolate 1.5 uh, gram twice a day, 
mycophenolate uh, ARM2 one gram twice a day, which is a pretty like a standard nowadays. And then imiran group, other theopurine, they use 100 to 150 per day. And actually, lymphopenia, so they do not define lymphopenia or, I'm sorry, leukopenia in the study, but I'm assuming this is a prospective study, so PI decide to report based on the white blood cell count. So higher MMF associated with a higher uh, risk of leukopenia, and other theopurine was equivalent to the mycophenol rate, 1.5 gram twice a day. And based on those leukopenia and then side effect, they change medication. So about one third of the patient required to change MMF. And usually the reduction of mycophenolate in this study. So post-transplant additional one, so mycophenolate two gram, and then this is a, retrospective study compared to the uh, randomized clinical trial. So they defined the uh, leukopenia based on the white blood cell count, 3,000. So patient was given basiliximab, not uh, alemutuzumab, and only six patients received uh, anti-simoglobulin in this uh, cohort. And mycophenol rate, uh, one gram twice a day, like uh, a randomized control trial one, which I cited earlier. And the Varugan cycle we are used only for the CMB high risk group or uh, anti-simoglobulin group. And 20%, so one fifth of the patient experienced leukopenia. With URL to change this message. Let us know if we can help you in any way during your development. Oh, <laughs> so. Uh, One-fifth of the patient experienced leukopenia defined by white blood cell count less than 3,000. And patient receiving a Vargan cycle tend to have a severe leukopenia and more often. So up to 50% of the patient experienced leukopenia in the Vargan cycle use. So based on this retrospective study, so we can conclude, so those people Alemetuzumab associated leukopenia, and then anti-simoglobin too. And then if you use higher mycophenolate, you will get the more severe and the more often leukopenia. And then barogansaglobia for the CME prophylaxis, which is also bone marrow suppression at the higher dose. So we will see those situations often. And not only those drug induced, and actually the CMV infection itself can cause bone marrow suppression due to uh, infiltrative process. So this is uh, data from a retrospective cohort, and then just 200 patients uh, between 2001 and 2006. And then this is from uh, Middle East, I believe. And then they use antigenemia instead of anti uh, instead of a CMB-PCR to diagnose CMB disease. So one third of a patient developed CMB disease. And usually median time of a diagnosis, uh, CMB diagnosis was about 10 months post-transplant. And leukopenia was found in uh, one fifth of a patient at the time of a CMB disease diagnosis. So not only drug-induced leukopenia, we will see, and then actually we will see CMB-induced leukopenia too. 
So CME mismatch can cause a CME disease, and then CME mismatch can uh, cause a drug-induced leukopenia because we tend to use Bargan cycle via for the prophylaxis. So single center, this is a Northwestern, I believe, Jennifer Walker paper. So Alemutsuzumab induction with the Takoramus and Celsep, they use uh, 750 or gram twice a day without any steroid. And mean for a period up to two years or so, and 15% develop CME disease, which can cause leukopenia. And surprisingly, 75% uh, experience uh, leukopenia defined by uh, less than 3,000 at any point post-transplant up to the follow-up period. And CMB high-risk group was almost like 90%. And then those people was given, those people were given prophylactic baroganzaglobia. And interestingly, some of them required a GCSF, fibroblast stem, to help uh, severe or moderate neutropenia. And that's also like you know, high in the CMB high-risk group, like a mismatch group who was getting a Valgan cycle of beer, and then Alemutsuzumab and mycophenolate 750 to 1,000 twice a day. So we talk about the drug in use and then CMB related. So CMB mismatch is a higher risk of developing leukopenia. And I'm gonna touch on a little bit about induction agents. So this is not for the transplant nephrology people, but intent for the general nephrology colleagues. So I'm talking about alemutsuzumab, which is uh, this one, and mechanism of action is anti-CD52, and then causing uh, T-cell depletion. And anti-simoglobulin, that's a polychronal, and then mainly like you know, CD3, and also additional uh, CD, anti-CD antibodies. And then basiliximab, which is not a T-cell depleting agent, which is an IL-2 receptor antagonist and try to prevent uh, T-cells from uh, replicating from uh, IL-2 stimulation. And to me, anti-simoglobin is a, a standard of treatment based on the recent uh, FDA approval in the 2017 and also based on the randomized control trials. And then Alemutsuzumab, we are using it off-label, but still we are using it. And one of the advantage of doing or using Alemutsuzumab is just like you know, one single dose in the OR and then done. You do not need any repeat dosing or adjustment. So that's surgeon prefers and then Post at the UHC uh, organ transplant center right now because of the uh, contract with the company. So we are getting um, those medication for free of charge. And even like uh, if we are getting uh, uh, those medication, but it does not cost more than 10,000. I think only a couple, hundred, uh, couple thousand dollars in my understanding. Compared to alemutsuzumab, if you use uh, anti-simoglobin, so you have to give it to usually three divided those here, and then sometimes like no longer because of the uh, side effect, and then we like to avoid uh, uh, severe thrombocytopenia or 
anemia in this situation. And then if you use for the 75 kg person, just like you know, medium size, and it costs about $13,000 for the treatment. And basiximab usually is $6,500. And then we use day zero and day three or four. So if you use alemutsuzumab, you can shorten the hospital length of stay. And then also you can recover some of the cost from a transplantation. So that's uh, another incentive to use those alemutsuzumab, you know, especially in the living donor transplantation preemptive ones. So no major medical comorbidities in the recipient giving uh, this induction and then having a good renal function, even like you know, day three, day four, patient can be discharged. And if they need an anti-semoglobin, they might stay longer in the hospital. That can cause uh, losing money, and also that can cause uh, hospital-acquired infection. So those environment are yeah, pushing alimentism we use in the living donor situation too. So use of a T cell depleting agent, not only University of Iowa, but nationwide, this is a, a AJT uh, OPTN report by heart and T cell depleting agent up to like a 70% or so last year or two years ago. And then basiximab usually 20%, that's like a steady level. And I analyzed uh, UNOS dataset and what type of T cell depleting agent we will use. And then majority of the uh, vast majority of the proportion we use anti-symoglobin. And then a fraction of a small fraction of a T cell depleting agent we use alimentosumab. And then because of the medication availability too, so not always those medication available, and then certain allotted uh, buyouts from the company, so we cannot use often. So that's another reason we do not have a huge uh, growth of the alimentosumab. And. I'm going to switch to anti-symoglobin, which is uh, a pretty like, you know, common medication, especially after the 2017 FDA approval. And prospective multi-center randomized control trial of uh, 309 patients. So this was done back in before the 2000 or so. So the regime is very uh, unique anti cyber induction for 10 days with the delayed introduction of the alignments. So they use the day nine. And came to arm to no induction with immediate alignments. Larry, can you mute your microphone, please? Um, how do I do that? Uh, lower quadrant, uh, left lower quadrant. Oh, I, I did it. Sorry. <laughs> okay. And then uh, the in both two groups, yeah, arm one, arm two, uh, CMV high risk patient population was uh, forty percent, and then sixteen percent in both groups. And the result, so leukopenia not defined, but this is also prospective trial. So I think PI decided to report 
as a side effect or complications. So if you use a high dose of anti-cymoglobin almost over the 10 days or so, post-transplant, you will get 40% uh, or so leukopenic. 40% uh, of the patient developed leukopenia, and then one third of the patient developed CMV disease. And if you do not give any induction, you do not have a leukopenia so often, and then CMV infection also down to 20%. However, acute rejection is much higher in the low induction group. So my understanding, based on those studies, we will give uh, induction treatment default. And in the situation, sometimes HLA identical uh, sibling kidney transplantation or uh, elderly uh, kidney transplant recipient with the multiple medical comorbidities, we might say uh, we do not use any induction or we use uh, basiliximab to replace anti-cymoglobin or alimutuzumab, like a T-cell depleting agent. So switching gear to the alimutuzumab, and we already mentioned earlier in the rheumatoid arthritis patient, and this is a kidney transplant patient population and prospective observational cohort. And they measure the CBC at the regular interval. So usually immediate post-transplant, one month, three months, six months, nine months, and one year. And they uh, calculated a mean quite blood cell count and also neutrophil counts. And they use the mycophenolic acid but uh, which is equivalent to the mycophenolate, two gram per day. And all recipients received a prophylactic valgancyclovir up to one year because of the alimutuzumab induction. And up to 50% developed leukopenia defined by low white blood cell count. And even uh, severe neutropenia, less than 500 was seen and 6% of the patient experienced uh, CMB infection despite viral cyclovir use. So this tells us drug-induced post-transplant leukopenia is common and major driver is induction agent and mycophenolic acid or mycophenolate. And third one is uh, viral cyclovir for the CMB prophylaxis. And on top of those medication-related side effects, so CMB itself can cause leukopenia. And CMB high-risk patients tend to get the primary CMB infection from a donor-derived CMB. So patients tend to get the more cyclovir in the CMB high-risk population. And then they tend to develop CMB disease despite those prophylaxis. So our index case, I'd like to uh, go over again. So patient was given alimutuzumab and mycophenolate, which is reduced 500 twice a day. So only one gram per day, but he was given baragansaglobir and he was donor positive and recipient negative. So he patient was CMB naive and donor was positive. So this case prompted me to think about what is the optimal induction agent in this high risk or highly susceptible
Asian population, so CMB, high-risk group. And because during my training, I do not use aramutuzumab at all. So I do not like uh, face those severe leukopenia. And so that's a, another reason, you know, I learned here from doing, and then that's why I like uh, searched and then tried to find uh, a good resource. So this is uh, one study done back in uh, 2010. And then they used the ULOS data set between 2004 and 2008. And they analyzed CMB mismatch kidney transplantation. Actually, they analyzed CMB cell status and then prophylaxis and also any uh, interaction. And they reported some group analysis, CMB mismatch kidney transplantation so if you do not use any induction, and then if you use uh, anti-simoglobulin, no difference between <laughs> those two groups. And then even if you use alemetizumab, statistically not a significant difference they observed. However, to me, like you know, numerical trend. So if you look at the anti-simoglobulin, it was 0.9, like uh, adjusted hazard ratio and then alemutuzumab was 1.4. So I thought maybe if you use uh, alemutuzumab more in this patient population, we might do more harm. So that's a most like, you know, concerning part. And then that led to the, my clinical question. And then why I focus more uh, anti-simoglobulin and alemutuzumab, not uh, basiliximab or no induction. So as I mentioned, uh, no induction. So you will see a rejection up to one year and then one third of a patient developed acute rejection, so biopsy proven. So to me, default is giving uh, induction. And then induction also like a T cell depleting agent, which is common in the United States over the last 10 years or so based on national data and then when I analyze those data, anti-simoglobin is more common and popular. So I'd like to compare why I'm using anti-simoglobin over uh, alemutuzumab or why we are choosing alemutuzumab over anti-simoglobin in this CMB high-risk patient duration. And then other stuff, the adjusted hazard ratio for the mortality, they did not find any difference. So after this 2010 paper by Dr. Kuo, and 2019, just like last year, there was an updated analysis of UNOS dataset between 2010 and 2015. And they measured any impacts of the CME cell status on the both kidney and patient outcomes. So very similar study, but this published in the American Journal of Transplantation. And they did not show any data about anti-simoglobin use, but they tested the interaction term, which is they tried to find out anti-simoglobin effect might be different from uh, CME cell status. So when I interpret this data, if patient CMB cell status like a high risk, and then CMB cell status negative negative, and anti effect might be different in those two groups. 
So they put it in interaction term and try to test it. And actually the effect was the same. That was like their conclusion based on their interaction term and then testing. However, this does not tell me why I'm using alemutuzumab over anti-semoglobulin in this CMB high-risk patient population. So I came up with the, my own clinical research question. So patient population, CMB mismatch, kidney transplant, donor positive, recipient negative ones. Intervention-wise, we are using alemutuzumab. And then control, I pick anti-semoglobulin over basiliximab or no induction because that's more standard of care over the last five to 10 years. And I direct to major outcome. So kidney graft loss, that's one primary outcome. And then patient uh, recipient mortality. So my research hypothesis was, if you look at the antisymoglobin and then compare alemutuzuma with the antisymoglobin, more often you will see leukopenia in the alemutuzumab. So alemutuzumab induced leukopenia is severe and then prolonged, leading to the CMV infection or other type of infection and reduction of immunosuppression. And unfortunately, you might create infection, but you might get, uh, you might suffer from a rejection afterwards. Now, if you get the rejection, you will treat it. Now, you might get the more immunosuppression, then like a vicious cycle, and leading to eventually graft loss. That's one. And recipient adverse outcomes, which is obviously like um, patient mortality. So that's I'd like to test it uh, with the data set. So I spoke to a couple of people and tried to find out uh, how to answer this question. And I just found that Dr. Thomas, he has a UNOS data set in his hand. So I asked him to, uh, I asked him to use yeah, his data set. So I'd like to introduce a little bit to the, uh, uh, my fellows. And so this data source, data set, United Network for Organ Sharing Transplant Registry dataset. So they have a candidate information and recipient information linked to the follow-up information with the immunosuppression. And also, if you want to look at the waitlist information, you can find the information in the waitlist. And then those information, where those information coming from, so actually, Organ Transplant Center, including our center, University of Iowa Organ Transplant Center. So EPIC already integrated to report uh, those information automatically to the UNOS, that's one. And then Organ Transplant Center, post-transplant or pre-transplant coordinators, they will put it in those information into the UNOS. And then UNOS use those information to uh, determine recipient candidacy and also prioritization. So those information must be very accurate and, and uh, pretty like uh, heavily like uh, collected by uh, UNOS. And donor information, those information coming from uh, organ procurement organization, we call it OPO. So OPO people, they put it in those information into the units. 
and they UNOS grabbed those data from the OPO information and then they combined it and then they provide it to you so you can use it for the research purpose. And then there are a couple of regulations, but pretty like, you know, uh, relaxed uh, like uh, uh, requirement. So if you want to use it, you can talk to uh, me or you can talk to Dr. Thomas and then we can find a, like you know, way to do the, those study if you have a, a question in kidney transplantation or non-kidney transplantation. Then my study design, so I'm doing a registry data, so retrospective cohort study, so which means my study will suffer from bias and also confounders and unmeasured confounders. And I created those predictor variable here on the left hand and then dependent variables, which those are outcome variables and we try to find out any association between those two predictor variable and dependent variables. Before doing this, I'd like to introduce a little bit of this like a graph we call directed acyclic graph, DAG. And this E means exposure, and then these are dependent variable. And then C, those ones, if affecting both, which is a confounders. And then exposure causing an outcome, and then also exposure causing a, some change, such as a proteinuria. So high blood pressure, and then causing a proteinuria, and then nephron loss or nephrotic syndrome and then going to end-of-stage renal disease. That's actually kind of mediator. So if you adjust proteinuria, you will lose those effects. So association, you might not be able to test it. And collider, which is unique, so exposure causing a condition and actually outcome also causing a dependent variable can lead to the those condition and then that's like an you know, collapse there so which means you cannot test outcome <clears throat> because excuse me because of the collider usually those ones are competing risk so you need to treat as a competing risk and the outcome so if you look at the graft loss so graft loss is actually you know, going to patient death and also vice versa patient dies with the functioning graft, but the graft is lost. So those are kind of like a competing risk and then colliding each other. So sometimes we use composite outcome and then as a competing risk, or I can measure this sensor the graph, graft loss and then patient mortality, and then I can report both and try to find out association. And then confounders, those are, uh, I might not need any explanation, but uh, easier one is uh, age. This is, so if you're older, transplant surgeon or transplant center might not use uh, severe immunosuppression as an induction. So if you're older, you do not use alemutuzumab and then maybe more no induction. And actually you know, no induction might affect the uh, uh, graft outcome. And then age itself, 
can affect the graft outcome or patient loss because if you get uh, if you get older you tend to die i mean compared to the younger patient so those confounders you have to adjust it or you need to eliminate before the study design one way randomized control trial you can eliminate those confounders with the randomization but i cannot do it because this is a retrospective study so i need to adjust it or eliminate from those patients from the uh, study and then the other thing uh, leukopenia this is effect mediator so i saw that this is a clinical hypothesis so leukopenia induced by alamutuzumab and then that's leading to the reduction of immunosuppression and causing a rejection and then graft loss and even patient death or rejection and the rejection treatment and then causing a more immunosuppression and then eventually patient death from infection. So when I do, uh, so those are designing a study, uh, especially a retrospective one, I do all the fashion way. So I put it in alemotizumab uh, on the left and then put it in outcome in the, on the right, and then try to find out a way to figure it out. So this is I do. And also nowadays you can do online application. So you can check dagittty.net. This might not be a safe website, but I yeah, tend to use it. And then you can put it in alimentsizumab here, and then graft loss and patient death. And then you can put it in those information, age, race, and then you can create a link. And those uh, red ones um, showing uh, potential confounders and then blue ones tend to be uh, effect mediators. So you might not need any adjustment. And then those gray ones, actually I put it in as an unmeasured variable because I do not have any of those information in the data set, so I cannot test or I cannot collect. So those ones are measured uh, variables. So I'm coming back to the uh, cohort selection. So study population, I directly know adult kidney transplant patient, that's my patient population. And I try to eliminate previous transplant exposure by using a fast transplant only and we kick off with the so actually original UNOS data set contains about 904,000 transplant recipients including a non-kidney organ too and I selected a kidney transplant recipient that's down to 420 427,000 patient and this information until like you know uh, December 2017 and then I excluded the pediatrics, 22,000. And then going to the fast kidney transplantation, so that's I excluded the 94,000 or 94,500 or so. Probably I can repeat transplant or no other kidney transplant previously. And missing information, so I'd like to know CMV information. That's uh, definition of my patient population. So if patient does not have any CMV data, 
and then typically like you know donor information we were missing in the older data so 92,000 or so excluded here because of the missing CMB data were incomplete. And 2003, 2016, so 2003, we started using alimutuzumab. So alimutuzumab just showed up in the 2003 in the data set. So that's my start point. And I'd like to have a, at least one year follow-up. So I put it in 2016 as an end date and I excluded about the 50,000 patients or so based on the year duration. And eventually we got the 20, and then CMB donor positive and recipient negative. Those patient population that I'm interested in, and I got the 23,000 and the 809 total patient CMB naive, patient getting a CMB seropositive donor kidney between 2003 and 2016. And then I put it in into the main analysis. And next one, baseline characteristics of those 23,809 patients. So recipient age, about 50 old or so, and then those are statistically significant because of a larger number of patient population. However, they might not be a, a clinically meaningful. So I will skip recipient age, but I'd like to focus. So black recipient, they tend to not get the basiliximab and they tend to get the T-cell depleting agent because we believe black ethnicity or race is highly associated with the uh, higher risk of rejection. And that part of a CYP mutation to like a metabolizer and then tacrolimus we cannot uh, maintain uh, adequate level. However, because of those epidemiological data, so if you have a patient with a uh, recipient block patient, we tend to use a T-cell depleting agent based data. And preemptive transplantation, which is uh, usually having a living donor at hand, and those people tend to have uh, alimutuzumab. So this is interesting to me, and actually I was thinking the same thing. You can shorten the hospital length of stay, and then you can discharge even within a couple of days, and you can manage as outpatient without any major like, uh, issues. So this makes more sense to me now. So we tend to use alimutuzumab in the preemptive living donor kidney transplantation compared to T-cell depleting agent. And look at the donor information next. And donor age, that's a significant, but I do not see a major change or major difference between groups. And black donor tend to get the alimutuzumab too. So this means I don't, I don't think in the clinical practice, we tend to use uh, induction based on the donor race, but that might be uh, some surgeon or centers might do it. And then clearly hepatitis C uh, donors, which we do not have a curable medication until recently. So those people tend to not get the T-cell depleting agent and then basiliximab induction more often. That makes sense. And then not like in a larger number of patient population. So 
last one, high or large volume center, which is I defined top 25%, so quantile and uh, quartile, and then I pick a Q1, Q2, and then put it in high volume center and a large volume center. So I thought that maybe large volume center or high volume center tend to use aggressive immunosuppression or induction agent. And then probably that's true because aremetizumab is 61% uh, compared to, supposed to be like a you know, high and large volume center, they should be like a you know, 50 percentile. So they should be about like a you know, 50 or so, but aremetizumab actually like a you know, 61 center is using it like a 61%, yeah, high large volume center. So that's, I suspect it. And then this is the primary outcome, table two. So I'm going through with you some median follow-up years, 4.1 years, and I forgot to put it in code in the uh, stratified group. So I do not have a median follow-up time, it's but the, Anti-simoglobulin and basiliximab is longer than alimutuzumab. That makes sense because alimutuzumab is uh, used recently. So, and then patient deaths actually uh, unadjusted model or unadjusted numbers. So alimutuzumab having the lowest patient death or mortality compared to anti-simoglobulin and basiliximab. And this sense of the graph loss actually you know, highest in the alimutuzumab. And if you look at the patient survival based on the Kaplan-Meier group, I do not see major difference. And also our p-value was 0.5, so not a statistically significant. However, this sense of the graph survival estimate actually significant and then nicely separate out in those three groups. So one is actually you know, inferior, one is uh, alimutuzumab, and then basiximab is uh, like a superior compared to simoglobin. But this is unadjusted uh, analysis and then Kaplan-Meier curve. So we move on to the additional uh, analysis of the risk factors and then going to move on to the adjusted models. And before going to the final adjusted models, I'd like to uh, introduce a little bit about the hazard ratio. You may already know, but so this is a risk estimates over the time. So time-dependent survival analysis, and then we calculate or compute hazard ratio based on the Cox proportional assumption. That's I did. And recipient age, so risk per one year unit, so hazard ratio 0.99, meaning 1% risk reduction per one recipient, one year recipient age. So if you are 10 years older, you might have a 10% risk reduction, no, but the sense of graph loss. So this initially didn't make sense to me, but now like making sense because if you are younger, you might have uh, glomerulonephritis or some, um, major condition leading to the earlier graft loss, uh, not the graft loss, I'm sorry, the native kidney and then kidney failure, compared to the older folks. So those people might have uh, diabetes hypertension, which is uh, chronic and slow progression. So if you are older, you might have uh, more often those chronic conditions and which might be uh, manageable after the transplantation. 
So that might be the reason recipient age is protective if you get older for the death sense of the graft loss. I'm not talking about the patient mortality or graft loss self, but death sense of the graft loss. Right. And male gender versus female. This is easy to understand. So hazard ratio 1.08, which means if you're male, you're at the higher risk of losing graft. And then this might be a reason you have the higher comorbidity with the multiple medical comorbidities compared to female. Yeah. So those ones, I put it in the system, in the model, and then I created the model one, model two, model three. So before like a modeling, I'd like to draw your attention. So this is Vasiliximab in univariate analysis and hazard ratio, so unadjusted, so univariate, which is unadjusted ones, 0.88. So if you interpret this number, if you use Vasiliximab, you are having a protective effect from Vasiliximab in terms of a patient graft loss. However, if you do modeling and then if you adjust adjust for recipient factors. And then second, if you adjust for the donor factors, and then eventually if you adjust for the transplant ear and transplant center, you will lose those protective effect after uh, adjustment, which means basiximab use was associated with the more uh, selection bias or confounders, which is measured in the data set. So that's why once you adjust it, you do not see any benefit from a basic of use. So the modeling one, which is a recipient factors, recipient age, gender, race, and diabetes, and uh, prior history with uh, dialysis. And then next modeling two, which is a uh, recipient factors and donor factors, donor age, gender type, and donor hepatitis and HLA mismatch, so like a transplant factors. And then model three, which is a transplant year in the system, in the modeling and center volume. So if you look at the alimentuzumab compared to anti-simoglobulin, Univariate analysis, you will have already statistically significant difference. So 18% hazard risk compared to anti-simoglobulin to lose kidney graft. And in the uh, final model, which is a hazard ratio 1.25, so which is a 25% higher risk compared to anti-simoglobulin. So this actually gives me uh, my clinical hypothesis might be right, correct. So that's why patient having uh, alimentuzumab use leading to the worse graft loss, uh, worse kidney outcomes. And if you look at the recipient mortality, you do not see major change. And actually that's touching like in 1.00 almost. So that might not be a, a protective, uh, no, the worse adverse effect from uh, alimentism abuse. So this means maybe I can speculate. So leukopenia we can handle with the reduction of immunosuppression or neupogen use, and then we can manage. However, if you use 
if you re if you reduce immunosuppression, you tend to have a graft rejection and then worse graft outcomes. That's I can speculate. And then the neutropenia nowadays we can manage with the neupogen, so patient might not be at a higher risk of developing the infection compared to older days. So that's why patient mortality is not affected by aremotism abuse in this patient population, maybe. So that's, I can speculate. So this is a summary of results and uh, my just preliminary work. So I do not touch any discussion part yet, but Aremotuzumab was statistically significantly associated with the worst kidney graft outcomes. Moreover, patient mortality may be a little bit worse compared to the anti-cymoglobulin. And the risk self, about the 25% higher risk based on the hazard ratio 1.25. So this is, I have, and then I'd like to have your opinion. So any questions? Yeah, I think five minutes. Masaki, this is Larry Hunziker. The, the only comment, I think it's a very nice analysis. The only comment I would make is that you, as I understood what you were saying, you had a fairly complicated explanation for why older age was associated with less rejection. But this has been known for years. And uh, not only is it associated with fewer graft losses, but it's associated with many fewer rejection episodes. And it's generally been attributed simply to the fact that as we get older, our immune systems uh, get weaker. Yeah, that's true. Yes, senescence. I think immunological senescence. Yeah, that's I totally forgot. Yes. Um, Masa, so if your hypothesis is true that Alamtuzumab is a more profound cause for leukopenia, and we are therefore reducing um, immunosuppression appropriately or inappropriately to, to reduce the risk of opportunistic infections, but the payoff then is more rejection and graft loss. Might you see a similar effect with um, um, other potential um, infections, BK and EBV, where um, maybe the infection rate won't be seen to be higher, but graft loss might be? So, sorry, somebody calling me, but... Hello? Yes, so the EBV I'm interested in, so actually I have a data set and EBV high risk group, I am able to analyze. And BK, so we do not measure uh, those BK viremia in the data set, I mean like not available. So the, our study methodology, so there are several fundamental limitations in this method. Why is uh, Unmeasured confounders. That's the nature of a retrospective study. So I cannot overcome with the, this methodology. The other thing, uh, limitation of a UNOS dataset, which does not contain any patient level information. So 
for example, not only BK, uh, BK virus PCR, but the white cell count, we don't have it, obviously. And we do not have uh, accurate measurement of the uh, dose reduction of immunosuppression. And rejection rate also, I'm not sure. Actually, I'm concerned about those data set and then the rejection rate might be underreported in the UNOS data set. So actually, I do not want to pick uh, rejection as a prime, one of the primary outcomes because of those limitations. However, if you have a data set, so such as UNOS data set and then link to the Medicare data set, or Medicare database or pharmacy information, you might lose N, but you might be able to identify those people getting a, a mycophenolic acid or mycophenolate, and then you can say they can mean dosage of those mycophenolate. So if we have alimentuzumab and then lower uh, use of uh, mycophenolate, in case you might be speculate, might be able to speculate, like uh, there is potential leukopenia or more infection in leading to the reduction of immunosuppression. That's why having a worse outcome. But uh, even with the data set, with this UNOS data set, I cannot say. I just like a, just like a dreaming, like a saying, like you know, potential association because of the, based on the prior, like, uh, alimentism of studies. So, so if we are able to access those drug information, that'd be fantastic. And I, I yeah, I'm hoping, but, but that's, yeah, you're right. So we can apply those uh, uh, idea to other infection, but we might suffer from a uh, uh, limitation, like uh, fundamental limitations of the study. Any other comment? Another question, if I might, Masaki, this is Larry Hunziger again. Um, I'm vaguely remembering that either GCSF or GMCSF may be associated with an increased risk of immune activation. Um, it might be a good idea for you to be sure that you don't have data somewhere that the immune system is activated by GCSF because then the treatment of, uh, of leukopenia would have the same effect as decreasing the anti-neutrophil, uh, you know, the anti-white cell stuff. And it would be another, um, what do you call it, uh, mediating effect rather than a, um, well, that, you know, you understand what I'm saying. It might be one of the reasons that you have more rejection. Yes, yes. Right, the higher uh, use of the those GCSF and then leading to the just number improves, but we might having a adverse event. Yes, that's possible. Possible like, kind of biological plausibility. Yes, thank you yep. for the good comment. Asa, so the the question uh, that or, or the hypothesis that you pose here is that with uh, alemtuzumab uh, you have more graft loss because uh, you have more rejection because you reduce the immunosuppression because uh, you have more uh, leukopenia. Uh, but isn't the fact that you have more leukopenia already increased uh, degree of uh, um, immunosuppression and then? Uh, 
that uh, maybe shouldn't be the cause of uh, graft loss. Maybe it's the infections you have more graft loss. Maybe BK, as Christy is saying, and not necessarily the fact that uh, you reduce the immunosuppression because you already have more immunosuppression. Yes, that's true. And actually, there is a, maybe I do not have here, but so the systematic, oh yeah, here I put it in. So the systematic review and meta-analysis of randomized control trial, they cannot differentiate any uh, <clears throat> alimutuzumab from uh, uh, anti-cymoglobin in terms of the CMV infection risk. So Probably this is because of the underpower, that's I feel, because only three randomized control trial addressing CME infection as an outcome. And the other thing you said, uh, uh, immunosuppression, yes. So alemetizumab seems very potent immunosuppression, fast three to six months, but seems, you know, the effect will uh, wean off over the time. That's people believe it. So if you look at the Kaplan-Meier curve, you still like, you know, having a, not a fast three months acute rejection, but uh, in the like, you know, best studies, uh, most recent one. So you will see uh, after six months or so, you start having a, a rejection. So probably like, you know, effect will go away somehow, like after six months. That's, I don't know, maybe because we are reducing immunosuppression, like, you know, mycophenolic acid or mycophenolate, that's why we are having, we are suffering from uh, rejection. That's, yeah, I'm just speculating and then maybe just like, you know, yeah, saying something like, you know, totally unrelated, but, so your point also, right, the CME infection or other sort of infection might affect the uh, graft function, graft loss. Yes, that's true. Thank you. Thank you. Any other? I think Dr. Fan, no more questions. I'm gonna stop. Yeah, thanks, Mark, for a wonderful presentation. I'm sorry, not something that I, I want to make a photo of myself to comment on the transplant stuff. But anyway, so, uh, uh, Federal, please uh, uh, sign 